0: Welcome to the CFITrainer.net podcast. We open this episode with a quick update on the Australian bushfire season. As of the date this podcast was recorded, even though there have been recent heavy rains and cooler weather, more than 100 fires are still burning in Australia, principally in coastal New South Wales and Victoria. In addition, the area is now enduring massive dust storms, flash flooding, and golf ball sized hail. The forecast calls for fire danger to escalate in the coming weeks as drier weather moves in and temperatures rise. As of January 20, 2020, it is estimated that during the bushfire season, at least 28 people have been killed, 25.7 million acres have been burned, and 2,600 homes have been destroyed. IWI continues to support the Australian Fire Service and asks you to join them by donating to the Australian Red Cross relief effort. You will find a link on this podcast's page. As we mentioned last month, our podcast in 2020 will have a technology theme and our first feature is a wild one. At this year's IWI International Training Conference, which runs April 26th through May 1st in Las Vegas, there'll be a seminar on how spoofing and masking technologies were used to frame an innocent mother and perpetrate an arson fraud. The course is presented by Shane Otto and Zach McCune. Mr. McCune, a partner in Rolfus Henry's Cincinnati office and one of only a few attorneys to hold the IWI CFI certification, is with us today to preview this course and talk a little bit about the role of technology in the case. Zach, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: First, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the expertise you've developed in the role of technology in fire investigation.
1: Sure. Um, So I am a partner uh, in Rolfus Henry's Cincinnati office, and I've been with them for about 12 years now. And the one area of focus that I've had throughout the course of my practice, in addition to doing insurance fraud investigations with a heavy emphasis on fire and arson cases, is um, developing... uh, and expertise in um, cell phone and other technology-related matters. So in terms of our firm, we assist insurance companies on um, fraud investigations all throughout the country. Then we also do a lot of fire science litigation all throughout the country. Um, and one of the things that has developed in that area is um, from cell phone and computer technology, things that range from the Cellbrite technologies to cell phone tower data analysis, Computer forensics, um, and kind of the interplay and the way that that has been increasingly used in fraud over about the past 15 years. So, I, within our firm, um, am kind of the go to person in terms of that technology and the way that it might interact with a given case, and then utilizing different experts to help identify um, the, the different types of arsons or other fire science cases where that something like that could come up.
0: I'm sure that uh, your firm as well as your clients are thrilled that you carry this knowledge. So how did you become uh, involved in this case?
1: So this was a case that um, we assisted Allstate Insurance with. So um, Shane Otto, who will be co-presenting with me, uh, will be able to speak to more of the insurance side of how this works. But um, very early on, in certain arson cases when an insurance company is involved oftentimes our firm is the first call so um, this was a fire where we got a call at some point during the first week after the fire and the the initial role that we were going to be playing um, which drastically expanded was just in terms of getting self tower data records so with a lot of arson's one of the first steps from the insurance company's perspective is to get in motion a process where they can get different individual cell phone tower data records to attempt to look at um, locations, communications with witnesses near the time of the actual fire, but a lot of times at other relevant times in their investigation, too. So on this claim, it actually started from that kind of discrete function and then drastically grew based upon some of the information that came up early in the investigation.
0: Set the scene for us. What are the basic facts of the case?
1: Okay, so you have a uh, an arson fire that happens at a house in a rural community outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, the insured represents to the insurance company that he is um, staying at a hotel multiple hours away from the lost location, and almost immediately, one of the things that's very interesting about this fire is that surveillance on a residential fire has survived the fire. Um, That's somewhat unique. Typically, on a residential fire, it will burn up and you won't have anything left in terms of a significant chunk of surveillance to look out. But here, for a very um, specific reason, it survived the fire. And the insured immediately started blaming the mother of one of his children as having committed the fire and then pointing out all of these distinct characteristics of the person who was on the surveillance and basically representing that that was the mother of one of his kids. And she's responsible for this, lock her up for a long time. Um, My insurance claim is legitimate. Um, So that set off the stage of he has represented, he has an alibi hours away so cell phone tower data is relevant for that purpose. Uh, The mother, obviously, was located at a particular location the night of the fire, so we wanted to look at her cell phone tower data. Um, And then it kind of took off from there. And uh, one of the things that we um, hope will be helpful with this presentation is, in addition to discussions of all of the technology that was involved in um, the spoofing and framing this particular woman, was the communications via what are called immunity requests with law enforcement that helped the investigation develop. Um, and we had a very good working relationship with law enforcement and responding to their immunity requests, and the investigation grew and grew once uh, information became available throughout that process. Um, but again, it started with fire, rural area, insured as hours away, blames the ex, and then it took off from
0: there. Yeah, I was going to ask you to not give away too much and and sort of tease what's going on because we don't want to take away what's going, uh, you know, the seminar's thunder. But uh, you seem to have set that up very well. Um, Any other technologies uh, that were used to frame someone else for the arson that you might want to talk about yet or or
1: no? Without giving away too much and without giving away um, the order in which they were discovered, um, we will end up touching upon um, programs like Teltech and SpoofCard that can be used to fake cell phone communications. We will have heavy emphasis on fake social media accounts, including fake Facebook accounts, fake Google accounts, um VPN communications and the way that they can be used to fake communications. Um, More traditional methods of faking or concealing what you're doing. Um, Fake debit cards. We had wigs, masks that were created based upon um, facial recognition technology, fake clothing, um, and then the, in addition to identifying those, kind of the order in which they came into play in this given case, we'll also talk about the difficulties or challenges that are sometimes faced in a civil investigation versus a, a criminal investigation in terms of how you approach these technology groups um, to attempt to get information from them. So we'll go through what it's like I think we probably subpoenaed, I don't know, six or seven of the largest uh, cell phone companies in the world. So what it's like to repeatedly come to them for their information. Um, so we'll kind of go through the plethora of that. So those are main topic areas without giving away too much of what actually happened in this, in this given case.
0: You must have done this just right because my head's burning. I, there's, there's so much I want to hear from you. Um, you. You talked a lot about all different kinds of technologies that were used, um, services that were used, you know, the social media. What about, are you going to talk a little bit about technologies that were used as investigative tools?
1: Uh, yeah, we will um, jump into, in this case, um, and one of the things that I hope is also interesting for the, um, for the audience is the, what I would say, the panel of experts who were used in this case. So we had um, forensic accountants, we had computer experts, we had cell phone experts, we had cell phone tower data experts, which is different from the physical phone, the analysis of how phones are communicating with towers. We had fire origin and cause investigators. We had origin and cause investigators who were doing fire debris sift analysis. So you had a, a whole wide range of them and all of the expertise that they bring. And then their interaction with some of this technology, we use cell bright downloads on some of the phones, oxygen downloads on some of the phones. Um, and then there was the more traditional gathering of social media evidence and how you investigate fake social media accounts, fake communications that one way or another would go through a cell phone. So you. you the presentation will hit on all of that. the investigation involved, all of that.
0: You know you're on uh, the same page as us and, and you and I haven't met before. And uh, I'm sitting here, you know going through some of my questions and you you went right into developing a team of expertise. Uh, so thank you for that because that has often been an issue. Whether it's a small or a large uh, department or agency that's working into something, how do you develop that team? So I guess one of the things that I, I do want to still get out of you is as you're looking at a case like this, and as you did with this case or, or, or some other, what, what's, what's the light bulb? What's the switch that makes you say, you know, why do I need help? H- how did you know you needed to reach out? Where, and, and where can people reach out to get something like this started?
1: Sure. Um, well, it, it obviously doesn't just happen in this one case. Um over years and years and years, our firm um, has developed relationships with different experts who are kind of go-to people in given areas. And then you look at whether you want someone close geographically to you, and we have a network of experts that we would use there, or whether you go somewhere national and pull someone in. Um, and then it's a very fact-specific, case-by-case basis of once a new item of evidence comes up, um, who the best person is to analyze that, get you back results quickly, um, work well with the other experts and complement what they do. Just an example, a very odd pairing of experts actually turned out to be incredibly interesting in this case. Um, On some level, pairing an analysis from a fire debris sift expert in comparison to a forensic accountant to essentially arrive at the same results mm. um, was just one of the ways that, that we paired that. Um, so it's very fact specific, and as each individual item of evidence comes up, there's a very quick call that goes out to someone, and they're on to assist you throughout the rest of the case.
0: You bring up a couple good points there. Obviously, um, you know the one that that we've talked about with so many different experts who do this well is building these relationships. Uh, early, you know, not, not exchanging the business card, as they say, for the first time at the scene. And uh, that's nice to hear. You, there's a lot going on here. How long is this uh, class? How, how, what's the session
1: like? Um, this presentation, I believe, we're slotted for four hours, um, which is uh, seems long. But with the fact that this case, I think people will kind of be on their toes. Um, that's actually a, a somewhat brief period of time to hit on all of the topics that came up in this case. Um, so I think it will be very, very interesting. People will be engaged throughout, um, and it, the way that the presentation is set up, because it's, it's in many ways, the, the, exact same way that the investigation developed. So again, we got that initial call just about doing, um, cell phone tower data analysis. And then it ended up in a case that lasted two and a half to three years, um, unbelievably long court filings that related to the, the events underlying the case. So um, it kind of builds on itself on some level a little bit like a mystery that's being solved, especially, and that was the the way that the investigation developed, and it's the same way that the presentation is given. Um, and it helps to explain identifying these issues with technology, how you go about investigating them, how you use your panel of experts, how you tie it into the the greater case or investigation that's going on and then how you reach your end conclusion. So I think it fits well in that four-hour gap. It gives people enough time to sink their teeth into what was going on to help identify some of this themselves. Some of the technology are things that um, the audience will kind of get a chance to watch themselves first and attempt to spot issues themselves, and then we'll come back to how it played into the overall investigation and how everything kind of tied together.
0: You know, it's interesting. Usually, when people tell me how long a class is, I go like, "Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of time." Uh, And in this case, when you said four hours, I was thinking a day or two. Um, It sounds like a jam-packed four hours to
1: me. It absolutely is. Um, You could. It's tough to pare it down um, to a time frame that's shorter than that. You could absolutely go longer. delving into a lot of these individual topics and some of the the more details of the case, but the four hours is is a pretty nice chunk of time, especially in one of these seminars for hitting on all of these technology issues, telling the story of this case and it'll make for a nice presentation
0: segment. And that's one of the beauties of being at ITC. You know, those people after they get done with this, are going to chase you to either the bar or the restaurant and try to get more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what have I missed?
1: Um, not much, because you don't. It, 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 I would. I wouldn't want to, in a preliminary podcast segment, um, give away too much of what occurred here. I think we've been able to hit on basic facts of the case. I think people maybe have a little sense of where it's going, and then the different types of technology that we'll be talking about throughout the case. So we basically got it.
0: Well, I feel the same way about. Uh, being teased, because I'm looking forward to seeing it, and uh, I think people have a lot to unpack from just what we've heard you tell us today. I appreciate uh, you joining us, and uh, all of you out there, you can check out this seminar and more than two dozen other ITC courses at iaiitc.com. The early bird registration discount ends on February 1st. Zach, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: We'll see you out there. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Here's a quick news item out of New Jersey that further illustrates the importance of technology and electronic evidence in fire investigation. On January 12th, a fire destroyed several buildings in downtown Boundbrook, New Jersey. Initially, the investigation was expected to last months due to the devastation of the fire. However, only two days after the fire, law enforcement had a suspect in custody. Among the evidence investigators quickly uncovered were social media posts threatening to start a fire allegedly made by the arsonist, and footage from multiple surveillance cameras that allowed them to track the suspect who was wearing a distinctive shirt design as he moved through the downtown area in an hour or so before the fire began. He was seen on video entering and exiting a liquor store, then walking toward an apartment complex with something in his hand and returning by the same path moments later just two minutes before the massive fire began. The suspect has been charged with arson and hindering an investigation. Dozens of people were displaced by the fire, which caused $52 million in damage. We also have a new training opportunity to share with you. This month, Trainer.net debuted a new online learning module, Introduction to Appliances. This module is a basic introduction to how many major appliances operate, covering components, explaining operation and heat generation, and describing common safety and thermal protection devices. It's a good foundation for further study and appliances as potential fire causes. The module includes applied examples and 3D animation. Check it out and earn your certificate of completion today. This podcast and CFITrainer.net are made possible by funding from a Fire Prevention and Safety Grant from the Assistance to Firefighters Grant Program administered by FEMA and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. There's also support from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, and voluntary online donations from CFITrainer.net users and podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next time. For the International Association of Arson Investigators and CFITrainer.net, I'm Rod Ammon.